This is the Eye on Potatoes, brought to you by the National Potato Council. The Eye is the place to tune in for conversations with growers and thought leaders on advocacy, production, and all things potatoes. Now, here's your host, Lane Nordland. All righty, everybody. Welcome back to the Eye on Potatoes podcast. Lane Nordland, happy to be with you as always. And again, a big shout out to our presenting sponsor of the podcast, Syngenta, delivering solutions to help producers face the potato industry's complex challenges. Syngenta provides growers with unmatched field expertise along the way. For more, visit Syngenta online today. Well, it is a great time at Potato Expo 2024. We have friends from across the nation and the world attending the largest potato expo since its conception. It's exciting to see our friends out here on the trade show floor from our bubble. That's what I'm calling it now. I called it a jail sale a few days ago, but we are in a a plexiglass cage here. It's great for doing audio, and it's a great time for us to talk about weather and weather patterns, and and that's what farmers talk about every single day. I'm excited to be joined today by Andrew Pritchard, Senior Meteorologist with Nutrien. And uh, Andrew, you just stepped off the pavilion stage talking about weather, weather patterns. What's it like being here at uh, Potato Expo this year? I am excited to be here. I did not know it was the largest one since its inception. This is a great event. It's my third time attending and getting to talk about the weather here. So it's it's always a privilege and one of the, the conferences that I always circle on my calendar. It's just a, a really cool experience. And I'm happy to be in the bubble here. Sometimes I wish we could set up a bubble talking about the weather with some of these weather <laughs> events. We got big winter storm coming through the Midwest. Would not mind one of these. Yeah. Um, and uh, weather has been on top of mind for producers just this week trying to get here. I know folks that came down on Monday, they got diverted to San Antonio to Dallas Fort Worth at just the wind. I'm from the Northern Plains up in Montana. It's going to be 48 below zero with the wind chill is what uh, my meteorologist friends back home are predicting with that wind chill. So uh, when I walk in between the the convention center and the hotel, I'm going to stand there for maybe a minute or two before I have to go back inside and really just soak in that that, that sun. You and me both. We will be (laughs) marinating in this warmth. I can't pretend I'm heading back to 48 below, but we'll be doing air temperatures below zero in Illinois here early next week. And so, yeah, to see a high of like 73 today, I will be spending some time outside just being in it. And you guys have a little humidity that way too, which always makes things worse. We have that dry cold where I'm from. It's it's special (laughs) in the Midwest. Uh, It's the heat and the cold is made just a little bit worse there. So, Andrew, maybe uh, share a little bit about your background, how you really looked at meteorology, how you found yourself uh, working with Nutrien, and, and just what your job looks like and maybe pr- making some predictions and forecasts. And, of course, we're, we're in agriculture. It's mm-hmm. a gamble no matter what. And, and uh, I'm a farm broadcaster, so I share the markets when they're up. I'm, I'm a savior. When they're down, they blame me. Same thing with with forecasters yeah. and, and meteorologists. Yeah. They uh, they get blamed uh, for for when things aren't going good. So we're kind of two peas <laughs> in a pod here today. Yeah, it's not quite fair. Um, but yeah, I've you know my whole life, all I've cared about is the weather. And you know, of course, I, there's other things that interest me. But weather was <laughs> the first thing that grabbed my attention, and I kind of knew from an early age that. I would be a meteorologist when I grew up. And it was specifically the thunderstorms that we got in the Midwest where I grew up. We get severe weather every spring and summer. Uh, My dad was fascinated by that. And then he uh, was friends with the chief meteorologist at the local NPR station there. So the two of them kind of caught on to my early interest in severe weather and fostered that. So I was a kid who was not watching cartoons on Saturday morning. I was watching tornado videos and being fascinated by that. Uh, so then when I became a teenager, you know, I learned that there were people who actually went out looking for this kind of thing, you know, storm chasers. I decided that's what I would do. I got my driver's license and started 
uh, going out there and, and to do that, I had to make a weather forecast of my own, trying to predict where the storm would form, you know, what that storm would be doing. Do I want to drive five hours to go try and look at that thing? You know, I'm 17, that gas money is precious. So you get pretty good at understanding the weather patterns that not only lead to severe weather, but some of the weather patterns that maybe give that mirage and, you know, get the severe weather forecast going, but then the forecast busts and you don't have those storms. So that's what got me started. I really had a fascinating with severe weather and trying to understand what was driving it and where those events would happen in advance. So I got older, went through college, you know, solidified that with a degree in meteorology and then started to learn that, hey, my ability to forecast high impact weather events, that could help other people out too, planning their day, whether it be, I got started with some of these bigger outdoor events that happen during the summer times, you know, think about a big convention center, maybe hosting an outdoor event where you got a lot of tents set up uh, and people who are exposed there. And a lot of those events, they will hire an on-site meteorologist, uh, meteorologist, excuse me, to uh, kind of give an alert if something big's coming. So I kind of floated around being uh, kind of an independent agent there, kind of doing outdoor events. Uh, I got into doing broadcast meteorology over the radio. I'm back with um, the same local NPR station that gave me my first part-time job as a weather office assistant as a teenager. So providing weather forecasts for them and then continuing to do that caught the attention of my now colleague, Eric Snodgrass, who was working on an ag tech startup. And, uh, you know, he's very, very popular in the ag and weather industry. So he was becoming very busy. He wanted another meteorologist who could be in the office forecasting the weather, keeping up with what's going on and communicating that. So that was in 2018. Uh, the company there was bought by Nutrien uh, that same year. So things kind of came at me fast. And, uh, you know, we kind of didn't change much over the, the first couple of years. But with my, um, you know, passion for severe weather and those localized high impact disruptive weather events, Nutrien being a big ag retail company, we have a lot of these retail facilities that are spread out across really vulnerable geographic areas to severe weather. And so as we took some of these uh, hits and near misses from big weather events that I knew were coming and was hearing stories of people being unprepared, I, I kind of went to the, to the higher ups and said, I think that we're missing an opportunity here with you know, my skill set. And so that has been my last couple of years. A lot of it focused on exactly what I want to talk about, which is the weather that's going to screw up your plans or present some sort of danger to you. Now, I'm sure a lot of your conversations as of late have uh, uh, centered around El Nino. And uh, I think we can all agree from when we made that transition to El Nino months ago that uh, it really hasn't gone to maybe maybe a, a traditional El Nino pattern. And, and I know you were talking with folks and you were probably getting asked, well, what's this weather going to do? Why, why isn't this El Nino doing what, what we expected it to do? Uh, l let's maybe just set that up a little bit. Talk about El Nino talk about La Nina and maybe why we are seeing a difference, maybe some different trends, maybe some different atmospheric or oceanic temperatures and, and why we are where we are here today in when we recorded this show in January 2024. Absolutely. So yeah, when we talk about medium and long range weather forecasting, we're looking for, you know, there's some big players, that's your El Nino, your La Nina, but there are always going to be wild card weather events. And so you know, I like to use another analogy when people talk about, oh, you're a meteorologist, you know, you get paid to be wrong half the time. That's awesome. And they make that kind of joke. And then I, I say, well, think about your March Madness bracket that you filled out, you know, and got, you know, terribly wrong. And the way that we do that, there's your, your El Nino, your La Nina, that's your Duke, your North Carolina, your big ones, your number one seeds, and you think they're going to run the table. Well, well, we didn't see, you know, 
Loyola, when Illinois was the one seed, you know, and come in with the upset. So things like that, that's the polar vortex. We can get a disruption there. Uh, we can get hurricanes that come up through the Gulf and disrupt our summer weather patterns. So we had a just an incredible forecast bust last spring and summer, coming through May and June across the Corn Belt. We had El Nino intensifying. We expected this very strong subtropical jet stream to bring in storm system after storm system through the Midwest, and it was going to be a, you know, a normal stormy spring. Well, what really happened was we developed a, a, a pesky blocking system or a, a blocked jet stream across the midsection of the United States. And so that strong jet stream was there, but it was blocked from bringing storm systems into the middle of the country. And so we ended up with not a stormy spring, but a very dry, uh, very warm spring. So when we talk about, you know, El Nino being the uh, bigger player for us here uh, in the winter, that's certainly kind of been the, the theme early on. It was very mild, very quiet across the midsection of the country during the uh, month of December. But now we're seeing a pattern shift. We're seeing a disruption in that pattern. Uh, we saw a lot of uh, cold air over Siberia. And that, you know, <laughs> several weeks ago set up a very strong Pacific jet stream extension that we were able to see this and, and know, hey, this is going to shake up the pattern. And so we didn't know what it would be, but in mid-December, we started to get the signal that January is not going to look like December. Uh, and so certainly that's the case now. We're getting this push of jet stream energy that's bringing in storm systems. It's bringing in, uh, you know, a change to the pattern uh, with, you know, winter weather. But then also on the backside of that, we're going to bring in a lot of cold air. So it's going to be a disruption to what would be a typical El Nino background state. But, you know, there are two truths here. Every El Nino has its own flavor. And even though we have El Nino or La Nina, you know, in place, it's, it's not going to be the end all controller there. It's just one of our, you know, bigger things that we can lean on is maybe this, this should be one of the bigger themes of the upcoming season, if that kind of makes sense. I, I think that's the best way I've ever heard it described as those March Madness brackets and you're expecting or fantasy football. I came in, I should have been doing really, really, really good on the, uh, on the fantasy football front. And then I went like 11 games in a row and I didn't win a game. And, uh, I came in ninth out of ten, though. I did not come in last. But I, I, I love that, that interpretation of it because, yeah, this is what the stats say. This is, this is what the models have said. So I, I tip my hat to you. That, that, is, that is a great way to describe it. Yeah. What should happen is not always what happens. And it's just we, we make a living trying to predict it out loud at you all and you do a good job of letting us know when we're wrong. Well, I'm going to ask you maybe what, what is next? What are we looking like here moving through the rest of the uh, winter of 2024 into the spring? But we are going to take a quick commercial break and hear from our friends at Syngenta right after this. Syngenta cares about potato producer productivity and offers a wide variety of seed treatment options protecting your investment from the beginning. Syngenta's all-liquid seed treatment Cruiser Max Vibrance Potato offers protection from harmful insect pests including Colorado potato beetle, green peach aphid, and leafhoppers. Additionally, Cruiser Max Vibrance Potato delivers immediate protection against fungal diseases. Contact your local retailer for information on Cruiser Max Vibrance Potato, Cruiser Max Potato Extreme, or Maxim MZ to find out what best fits your farm needs. Andrew Pritchard joins us here today, meteorologist with Nutrient, and uh, he spoke this year at Potato Expo 2024, and obviously weather is so important to farmers and ranchers. It, it helps dictate what we may be planning, our, our management plans, and just uh, if we had the crystal ball, we would all just be 
multi-billionaires and having the best crops of our lives, but we're in agriculture and uh, we're gamblers and that crystal ball does not exist, but there's a lot of tools at hand to help us be successful in the countryside and, and Andrew and the team there at Nutrien uh, work hard to provide that for, for, for their teammates and for their stakeholders out in the countryside and you know, Andrew, we were just talking about you know that that model and the forecast for what El Nino could should what 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 what, what folks thought it was going to be. Obviously, uh, uh, it, it didn't pan out for how how a lot of folks were looking at it. But as as you as a meteorologist, as a forecaster, as you're looking at the history uh, of these weather patterns and, and just how it shifts across the globe and what we've seen for the last 25 years, 30 years in these patterns, what what are you looking at now as we try to look towards this upcoming growing season what what are some of the models that you look at when when we're trying to predict hey we might have a wet spring we might have a dry spring or it, it, it might be dry all year there's your forecast right there <laughs> uh no you know, you're right there's a lot that we're looking at and the unfortunate thing is that really when we talk about this meteorological no man's land is what i'll sometimes call it it's really in that two three four week time frame where we do a pretty good job of telling you what's coming in the next 10 days. You know, these specific storm systems, your, your you know, day-to-day uh, weather forecast. We can then, you know, look way out into the future, maybe one, two, three months. And when we do that, we're talking about giving you an overall theme of that, you know, upcoming pattern. Again, we're coming into a winter with El Nino being the background state. You know, oh, this area may be experiencing a more mild winter. This area may be a little bit more active. But then the truth is it's that two to four week time frame where what's coming next, what's coming after what we know is happening now is where we struggle, the weather models struggle, and there's a lot of research being done to try and understand how can we be better, whether it's analog weather models taking, you know, a better job of looking at years past where we had this exact setup or something very close, you know, what came next and that kind of thing, and always working to improve our technology. But the truth is we... We, you know, take the storm system we have coming up here over the next day or two, the one that may prevent me from getting home to the Midwest <laughs> tomorrow. It's going to bring a lot of snow and a lot of cold air on the backside. And all the snow it deposits and all of the cold air that it brings in, where all of that sets up is then going to have an impact on the storm track of the next storm that comes in on the backside. So that's where we end up with some trouble here in understanding where things are going. And so when I talk about where we are today, unfortunately, you're catching me at a, a period of pretty low confidence in I know where we are now. We've got this really active stretch here. We're going to have, you know, a, a several impactful storms and big cold. But then we're probably going to go through a bit of a reset. You know, whether we fall back into, you know, for a period of time, you know, a more typical background state for El Nino. So maybe we, we return to kind of mild and quiet across the Corn Belt uh, and focus more of our energy on the western U.S. and the southern and southeastern United States. Or perhaps we see another disruption that we're not seeing right now, the polar vortex. That's something we worry about every year. It's a, you know, a feature that's there 365 days out of the year. We talk about it down here when it's actually weakened and disruption or disrupted, excuse me. Um, typically, you know, the polar vortex is very strong. It's, uh, you know, circulation around the Arctic. It's keeping that bitterly, bitterly cold Arctic air centered over the Arctic. But sometimes we can see a, a sudden stratospheric warming event, which is something I do not have my hands on, but people do. Uh, we see that it disrupts the polar vortex and it becomes really wobbly and kind of loose. And that's when we can see a lobe of that really cold Arctic air spill down into, um, into the, the lower 48 and bring us some of that record-breaking cold. Hurricanes are very similar. Those can bring big disruptions to the patterns as they make their way up through the Gulf. But of course, you know, we're forecasting those day by day and don't have a great handle on where they're going, you know, weeks in advance. So it's the specifics 
that are happening now that are really going to determine where, where things are going in two, three, four weeks' time. So I think that as we head through the end of January into early February, I would not be surprised if things kind of uh, reset here. And I'd, I'd be hard-pressed to find a meteorologist who's feeling real confident about you know, much of the month of February right now, other than we still will have that El Nino presence and a weakening El Nino at that. So when we, uh, I have a lot of friends that are meteorologists that I work with in, in media and whatnot, and they, they, I, I've, they've opened my eyes to more of those. Is it PDO and uh, Pacific yeah. uh, Decadal Oscillation? Absolutely, Did I say it? you got it. Oh, MGO, good, 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 good. Julian Oscillation. I, I tried, but uh, and it just seems, especially for growers in the PNW in the West, mm-hmm. that that is a vital, vital area to watch yeah. in, in how cold it is, how it warms up, but also the Atlantic uh, yeah. uh, area as well. What? Uh, when do you start watching that area? When, when is the a key time to, to start watching those ocean temperatures there? And again, I'm more familiar with up along the, the, mm-hmm. the coast there in Alaska when we're looking at that PDO. I, I, I guess, when, when do you start really paying attention to when the temperature is up there? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the answer is always, really. I mean, the, the Pacific Ocean temperatures, especially, you know, that's where our weather systems from the North America or across North America are coming from. Um, so, you know, whether it's the, the PDO area, El Nino, or, you know, there's a lot of different clues that we can look to the ocean for, for where things may be going. And, uh, a good example of that is drought across the central U.S. We found that's often tied to an area of colder water, kind of in the shape of a, a triangle coming off of Baja, California. So, you know, ocean temperature forecasts are not the best mm-hmm. in the world, but we are always watching those for clues for where's the summertime ridge going to set up. You're right. We're always, you know, looking at the PDO and, and El Nino and La Nina and how they may impact precipitation across the West Coast. So uh, we're always monitoring that. I mean, when, when I meet with my team of meteorologists, the map of sea surface temperature anomalies, we're always looking at that and trying to analyze not just like, you know, these different circulations, but the health of them. Like, let's look at El Nino. Is this actually a really strong and impactful El Nino? And the, the truth was, no, it wasn't really ever that substantial. It was much weaker than forecast. And it's a pretty weak signal right now. There's already some cold beginning to kind of reshow itself below the surface there. So there, if we're looking at it in 3D, we're looking at it in the future, we're looking at different circulations across the Pacific and the Atlantic. So you're, you're absolutely right. There's not necessarily one time or one circulation we're looking at. And there was a slide, if you were in the presentation there, where I, I put it up there. It was looking at the globe and all of the different circulations like that, the MJO, the QBO, the PDO, the AO, the NAO, and all of those are drivers of our weather across North America. And at, you know, sometimes they're more impactful than others. And you know, trying to get that right is, is key. What are, more, what are the more reliable models that you look at? I, I've heard some people say that the European weather mm-hmm. models are more reliable or, or maybe they just have more oomph to them. I, sure. again, I, I have no knowledge other than just hearing, hearing your fellow uh, industry leaders in this field talk about them. But I, I guess from your opinion, where, where do you look for some of those models? Yeah. Well, in one hand, it depends on what you're looking for. Uh, the European model, yes, it gets touted as the most powerful one. And it is the most powerful medium and long-range weather model that we have. It has more what we call ensemble members. Those are kind of individual models within the model that are run uh, to help the model get, you know, kind of a, not necessarily an average here, but to get a, a really good idea or consensus. You can start getting some probabilities for different things. So it is far and away, you know, the most accurate, the most po- uh, powerful weather model for that kind of thing. But 
I would never use the European weather model to forecast thunderstorms tonight or tomorrow. Uh, for that, we have much higher resolution, much more frequently run weather models. The European model that comes out every 12 hours, uh, but we also have weather models that come out every 15 minutes. We have the high resolution rapid refresh or the her, as we like to call it. And that is, that's probably, you know, one of the best ones for forecasting severe weather activity. You know, the European model, it shows you big broad areas of of rain and, and you know precipitation, but the some of these higher resolution, what we call convection allowing models, these are models that generate thunderstorms. And so you can look at the behavior of the storms that are being forecast, of course, knowing it's not an actual prediction of the future, but when you start seeing, hey, all of these models are showing, you know, individual supercell thunderstorms or, you know, a line of thunderstorms producing high winds, then you can start to get a better idea of your you know, severe weather forecast or something like that. So all of the models, you know, they have their strengths. There are some out there that we know that, hey, that just toss that model. It, it's not used for that. Or, you know, you start to learn that each model has its own bias. This one's always too warm, which means it's going to generate too many thunderstorms. Or this model's always too cool, which means it, it's missing out on some of the energy for thunderstorms. So it depends on what you're trying to forecast. But you're not wrong in hearing, uh, you know, folks talk about the European as being the, the king model. So obviously we all have... I'd say majority of our listeners have a smartphone that they're probably listening to this conversation uh -huh. on. And we all have technology, and yep. we have it in our hands. I, I, I very much dislike the weather apps that mm -hmm. are out there. And we say, oh, yeah, it's, it's right in your hand. But I, I just opened up here the weather app that comes with, with the uh, iPhone. And I, I just dislike it so much because I will be checking the weather and I'll, you know, oh, we're going to work cows here today. I think we should be good. Then I drive 20 minutes down the road and get to the, the, the main operation of my in-laws and uh, it's snowing mm -hmm. or, the, or it's raining. And sure. those models aren't right. What? Uh, so this is my point. I always, uh, mm -hmm. I have my local meteorologist on radio and TV and, and regionally that, that I like to pay close attention to, but the pros and cons of having this information in our hand that I don't think is right a lot of the time. Yeah. It's handy, isn't it? And, and <laughs> we like that. We like convenience. It's nice to open up a weather app and it just spits out a weather forecast for you. But the truth is there's no meteorologist that's quality controlling that data. You're looking at a weather model yeah. and weather models are tools and they're, they're very useful tools, but they are most useful when you have a meteorologist who's looking at it and saying, Hey, this model is crazy with that high temperature or, you know, predicting individual thunderstorms or that kind of thing. So Again, it's convenient, it's nice, but you are opening up a computer model and looking at its verbatim output. And so that's why it's often wrong. It's often changing frequently because, hey, in six hours, 12 hours, that model is going to run again. It's going to have a totally different forecast. Yep. So, you know, there's some of these these sites, too, that offer, you know, 30, 60-day weather oh. forecasts. And I have just, you know, watch watch your forecast 35 days out in the future and watch it change every day. So, yep. again, it's, it's nice. They're tools. I'm not going to, you know, slam them or anything. But you have to understand that it is just a direct computer forecast. No one's looked at it to say whether or not it makes sense. And that is why they are always changing and, and why they're sometimes wrong. And I always get mad at my iPhone weather app that it, <laughs> it always tells me it's snowing outside or it's raining because the radar has like light returns. But I know that there's dry air there, that the rain's not making it to the surface or the yeah. snow or whatever. So, yeah, you look at it, it's like, oh, it's snowing outside. And you look out the window, no, it is not snowing outside. And 
it usually gets the wind right where I'm yep. from. North Central Montana, the wind just always it's blows. So I, I, I mean, I think it's just assuming that the wind's blowing. But uh, Andrew, I know you got a you got a day here at Expo. Still, you just literally got off the stage and then came in here to the podcast bubble. But what what's a message you have for producers on on how maybe they can uh, become better knowledgeable about weather um, and how and what they can do to find these better sources out there rather than their doing iPhone app that mm-hmm. I do not believe works. I think it's misinformation. It's fake news. That, that's yeah. what I'm going to call it. It's fake weather forecasting. There you go. But uh, what are some tips? And, and maybe as we look into moving through this winter and spring, and I don't want to put you in the hot seat, but, you know, I mean, you know, he said it's going to be a little up and down here uh, uh, going through uh, when we get into February. But uh, I guess what are some things you'd just like to leave our audience with here today? Yeah. I mean, I feel like I am on the hot seat anytime that I get, get up and speak in front of farmers because I – no industry is following the weather closer than ag. And so I, I sometimes feel like I'm showing up and telling these folks something they already know, you know, their weather story and what's coming and, you know, their their yearly weather story and, and what they've come to know. So just understand it's an imperfect science. Uh, you know, we as meteorologists, you know, no one knows exactly what's going on. You you said it earlier. If if I or some meteorologist had that crystal ball, I would not be working a full-time job. I'd be retired on a beach, just drinking cocktails and playing the futures market and that kind of thing. So, you know, it's an evolving science. Just just understand the low predictability nature of that as you get further out into it. Uh, find your trusted local meteorologist, whether it's, you know, you know myself or your local TV guy or, or whoever you put trust into knowing your local weather uh, the story of it, how things typically roll out, and, and one who's not often, you know, trying to act like he knows everything and then hiding when the when the forecast busts. <laughs> so it's just all about finding finding your trusted resources and understanding that weather prediction is is just not a perfect science. So how can folks maybe uh, engage more with uh, your work with Nutrien? Absolutely. Uh, so one thing you can do is you can head on over to um, NutrienAgSolutions.com. You can set up an account there, and that would get you access to some of our basic weather data. Uh, you also can follow me on uh, social media. If you're on, on many of the platforms, I'm there with the handle at SkyDrama, uh, which I share a lot of my weather insights mm-hmm. there, whether it's you know across the Midwest or the lower 48, whether it's severe weather or long-range uh, forecast thoughts. And uh, we continue to develop our, our weather ecosystem at Nutrien, too. So I would love if one day we're rolling out some more stuff that's available just to the general public there because i think we're doing some really cool things with uh ag weather well andrew i appreciate you taking time here with us today it's lunchtime we're we're literally here in the podcast bubble watching people eat loaded baked potatoes i told you that back at home they set up a meeting for me that i have to join at 12 30 you can't even i have to be in a meeting during the potato bar so (sighs) i will be eating in the meeting okay yeah i mean like go through the buffet line here and get your loaded potato (laughs) hey friends Andrew's got to make a make a meeting here, but I want to thank him for joining us here today. Check him out there at NutrientAgSolutions.com. And again, thank you for joining us here on the Iowa Potatoes podcast. I'm Lane Northland. Until next time, we'll catch you later. Thanks for tuning in to the National Potato Council's Eye on Potatoes podcast with host Lane Nordland. For more information, visit NationalPotatoCouncil.org and make sure to subscribe to the podcast today.